Hi, love, and welcome to Listening to Your Gut. My name is Kelly Bluth, and I am a certified holistic nutritionist with a passion and purpose in this life to educate and serve others like you. As a woman with two autoimmune conditions, I have found the power in embracing a holistic lifestyle to support my overall well-being. In each episode, I will share inspiration, tips, or research-proven strategies that will help you to listen to your gut literally and figuratively. Together, we will work to honor our mind, body, and soul through holistic wellness. I am so pumped we are on this journey together. So let's dive in. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another Monday of the podcast. And sorry if my voice is sounding like it's going. I think I'm in in the in-between of maybe a cold, perhaps. I don't know. I use my voice at work all the time, right, as a teacher. So uh, my voice is just, you know, the the biggest, uh, takes the biggest hit, I guess you would say, in my profession. So um, yeah, any hoozle. We're going to talk about a topic that we've touched on before. I don't know what episode it is, uh, but I'll link it in the show notes. We've talked about food sensitivities versus food allergies. And so today we're not going to go down that path because if you want to listen to that, you can go listen to that other episode. And like I said, I don't know what episode that is, but I'll link it in the show notes for you. Uh, But I've been thinking about doing this topic for a while and I was like, okay, today's as good as any day to talk about this. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about this topic. So I know a lot of people, myself included, have gone through food sensitivity testing. In fact, it was part of my coursework when I became certified as a holistic nutritionist. And at the time I was hemming and hawing because I was like, there's so much mixed information. Um, There's not a whole lot of research out there. And what research there is, it's very inconclusive. So I, you know, at this point, I don't hold a lot of stock into food sensitivity testing. If you want to do it, great. That's up to you. Um, You know, there's several lesser uh, expensive ways to do it. But again, I just don't feel like there is um, a true way to really hone in on what foods are causing you sensitivities um, to really warrant these tests being effective uh, or to really, you know, say that these things actually work. So I really just want to come in here today and share the science behind why foods might be coming up on food sensitivity testing for you. Like maybe you're noticing that there are foods that you're eating all the time, which ding, 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 that's usually the foods that come up on food sensitivity tests. Um, Maybe you're noticing that those are coming up, right? We're going to talk about why that is. So I really want to kind of lay the the foundation for what this episode is going to look like. Um, so let me do that. And then we'll dive into all of these pieces and parts. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about is the difference between a food allergy and a food sensitivity. And we've talked about that before, but we're going to go a little bit more in depth to that. And then I want to share with you the most common food sensitivity symptoms versus the most common food allergy symptoms. We're going to talk about both of those. Okay. And then the last thing we're going to talk about is what is most likely causing the foods that you commonly eat on a regular daily basis to show up on a food sensitivity test if 
that is the case. If you've done a food sensitivity test and you're like, holy crap, everything I eat is on that, is on that report. Okay. Like we're going to talk about why that is and moving forward, what you can do to support yourself. Um, so that you don't feel like you're like, holy crap, I can't eat anything now. Cause that's how I felt after I first did my food sensitivity test. I was like, great. So I can eat dirt. Like that's, that's basically it. Right. <laughs> so, and, and I'm laughing about it. I'm joking about it. Right. Cause now I'm removed from it. Like I understand, I fully sympathize with you and, and can relate to how frustrating that is when you find out that all these foods that, that you eat are on the test. Furthermore, that they're all healthy, right? Because everything I was eating at the time that I had my food sensitivity test three years ago, everything I was eating was healthy. So I was like, how, how does this make sense that I'm eating healthy food, yet it's coming up as a trigger for sensitivity, right? It just doesn't make sense. That's why I don't hold a whole lot of stock into it. And again, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we'll, we'll go into why that is, why I feel that way. Okay. So lay the foundation. Here we freaking go. Let's freaking do this. All right. So there are two, two sides of the coin, right? There's food allergies and food sensitivities. Okay. And with that, what is being tested are two different. So when you go about this, right, when you go about getting food allergy tested versus food sensitivity tested, there are two different immunoglobulins that are that are used to indicate one or the other, right? So if you are getting tested for a food allergy, then the allergist is going to use the, or they're going to be looking for the IgE immunoglobulin. And if you're like, what in the crap is an immunoglobulin? It's just a type of protein. Okay. So an IgE protein will come up and it'll be triggered pretty fast, uh, pretty quickly in the matter of a couple minutes. Um, if you, are, if you are allergic to certain foods, okay, this is usually like, a pinprick or like the, um, like the little, little prongs that, um, the allergy, the allergist will, will do on your back usually. So I know this because I've actually had it done. I had it done last year when I was thinking maybe I do have an allergy to some certain, to certain things. Um, turns out it was just a histamine response, but, um, I, Squirrel brain coming coming back here, <laughs> um, but yeah. So whether they do like the the pricks, um, the little pokey pricks on your back, or they they do a blood draw, um, they're looking for the IgE uh, immunoglobulin, which is like I said, it's a special protein that they're looking for that will um, that will come up pretty quickly if you are allergic to a certain type of food. Um, and again, these are all, um, responses by your immune system that are, um, your, your immune system is at a heightened, um, point when, when your body, uh, is allergic to a particular food or type of food. So the IgE is what they're looking for that protein. And it's specifically we're looking for the antibodies that are created when your body is responding, trying to fight off this food that it's uh, reacting to. Okay. So 
if you take anything away from that, remember that food allergies are going to be picked up by the IgE antibodies that will come about if you have a food allergy. Okay, if you don't, then you it won't you won't have a high count of of antibodies present um, when they do the testing. Now, an IgG is most common. Um, we hear that a lot when people are getting food sensitivity tested because that's what we're using. That's again another protein, um, and we're looking for the antibodies from the IgG protein being present. Now, these don't show up until usually they can, it can be hours, sometimes a day or two. It can be up to days uh, before these, excuse me, show up and are present. So um, foods can cause this, this response can cause um, sensitivity in the body, right? And um, again, these antibodies, these IgG antibodies will be more, um, more pronounced. There will be more of them if uh, you have a sensitivity to a food. Now, that's all well and good, right, to know that. But a lot of times, these foods are foods that we're eating on a regular basis, right? And they're healthy foods. And so we're going to get into, in a moment, why these foods might be showing up on this food sensitivity test. Um, so before we get there, I want to just bring you back to, let's talk about the symptoms between, or the difference between the symptoms of a food allergy versus a food sensitivity. So if we're looking at a food allergy, we're going to more commonly see more the more of the severe symptoms, right? So this could be um, anaphylactic shock, right? So where your body, it, like you become pale, um, your throat swells up, you might not be able to breathe. Um, there could be diarrhea, there could be vomiting, um, hives, itchiness, breaking out, you know, and rashes. Um, yeah, lot, lots of not great stuff. Uh, chest pains, um, you could have some abdominal pains too. Um, so there's lots more symptoms that are associated with a food allergy um, than there are with a food sensitivity. I mean, Somebody could argue with me that there there could be a lot of food sensitivity symptoms, but typically the most common ones that we that that I've experienced and that most people experience with the food sensitivity is going to be things like um, abdominal cramping, diarrhea, um, gas, and bloating. Okay, you might have some some itchiness or rashy rashy type tendencies um, that you think are associated with food sensitivities. Um, but most often, at least what I found and what I hear most people share too, and just in the research that I've conducted, um, not that I've conducted, the research that I've gathered, <laughs> the research that I've gathered, the research I've conducted on myself, I guess I should say, and, you know, through working with my clients as well. Um, but yeah, the, the research that I've mostly conducted, or that I've, good Lord, that I've gathered from myself, from my clients, and from just outside research, uh, really indicates that those itches and uh, the itchiness and rashes that you may experience after eating certain foods typically are linked to um, a histamine response, a histamine reaction. And that's a whole nother can of worms that we won't go down today. I'm pretty sure I've done an episode on histamine response. So you can 
take a look at that too. If I can find it, I'll, I'll link that in the show notes too. There's a hundred plus 140 plus episodes. So, um, I will do my best to, to find that one for you and link it too. But, um, <clears throat> anywho, there's just, like I said, there's less, there are less symptoms associated with food sensitivities, even though you would think there would be a whole gamut of them, a whole slew of them. Um, the, the big ones, like I said, are most commonly gas, bloating, maybe diarrhea and abdominal cramping. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of the gist of that. Um, now what I want to share with you is probably what you were waiting for. You're like, okay, so now that we've gotten through all that boring stuff, let's talk about why then are these foods that are one healthy and two that I'm eating on a regular basis, why are they showing up on the food sensitivity test that I take, right? And you might even take, I know of people who have taken the food sensitivity test, like they've taken it initially, then they remove those foods and then they take it again a month, maybe three months later, six months later, and the foods still show up, right? They still show up and that's frustrating, right? And there could be a whole slew of reasons, um, but the biggest one is probably because um, there's a bigger issue, right? Like there's probably a bigger issue if it's still showing up than just those foods. Um, but two, if they're still showing up, it probably means that you haven't removed them for long enough, right? And I know that like, if you've removed them for six months and and they're still showing up, then there's really, there's something else going on, right? That we need to investigate further. But if you remove it for a month and then you bring it back in and it, it shows up again, that's, I mean, 30 days, you're gonna, you're gonna need typically at least for, again, from my perspective and from working with clients and again, just looking at the research, you're going to typically need two to three months removing foods that come up as sensitivities. If it's truly just the food, right? You're going to need to remove that for 60 to 90 days. Um, here's the reason why though you're going to need to do that. And the reason why these healthy foods are showing up it's from most likely leaky gut. Okay. A lot of us have leaky gut. I had leaky gut, had to heal it. Um, my gut is doing so much better now. And many of us out there have leaky gut, but we'll never know it because there is no official diagnosis for it. And there's no official test for it, um, which sucks. Right. But what happens when you develop leaky gut is, well, let me back up. Leaky gut is linked to the food that we eat. So like your diet, if it's not great, if you're not eating healthy, that's one piece to the puzzle. But two, which everybody is going to be connected to is stress, right? Everybody has stress. Not everybody can handle their stress and not everybody can find ways to cope with their stress and manage their stress um, effectively, which then leads you to become more susceptible, more prone to leaky gut. So what is leaky gut, right? It's when the intestinal lining, so you have your small and large intestine in your body, right? It's when your intestinal lining is compromised, it breaks down. And when this happens, food, primarily food, right? But then toxins that you've accumulated, um, things like um, 
the, like I said, undigested food particles, harmful microorganisms, um, these things, they get, they, they leak out of the intestine through the intestinal lining because there are now holes in that intestinal lining. And so they leak out into the bloodstream. And what this ends up doing is it um, dirties, if you will, for lack of a better term, it dirties the, the bloodstream. And this then can impact your hormones. It can impact your immune and nervous system, your respiratory system, and even your reproductive system. Um, this is why we see then people oftentimes that have leaky gut, they develop other things, right? Um, many times we see people that have leaky gut and then later on, we find out that they also have Hashimoto's, hypothyroidism, right? Um, these stress is very much so connected and linked to thyroid issues, right? And so these things can snowball and they can, they can manifest into other conditions. So a lot of people like myself who have Hashimoto's, who have hypothyroidism, uh, also at some point or another in their, their journey have leaky gut. It's just, again, some of those uh, comorbidities. So um, the, the way we get around this, right, or the way that we provide a solution for this is to eliminate those foods, like I said, for a time being, okay? I would recommend 60 to 90 days. I'd honestly say 90 is the better bang for your buck. Um because then that's allowing your gut to heal, right? It's allowing your gut the time to say, oh, thank God, those things that are causing me these reactions that are causing me to produce these antibodies are a lot, they're, they're not here anymore. They're allowing me to rest. They're allowing me to build up my intestinal lining to repair it and heal it. And then once that happens, you're able to then eat the foods that once triggered you, right? Without those reactions, without those uncomfortable symptoms. Like I said, if you do that and you notice that you're still having those symptoms um, and they're, and it's not better, right? So it could be that you're still having the symptoms, but they're less. So it just means you might need to, to take more time away from that food. And I know that stinks. Um, but if if that's the case, then, you know, it might just be a simple, well, not a simple, right? But it might just be that you need to keep a distance from those foods for a little while longer. If there's no change, then there's something else here at play, right? It could be something like um, some sort of infection, right? Um, like maybe you've got Lyme disease or something else of, of that nature. Um, there, I, I can't speculate what it is, but there are so many things that um, it could be that you're really going to want to investigate further, right? Um, and that might be, you know, going and getting lab, like more lab testing, more expansive lab testing to see, you know, what else is coming up. Um, so that's where we're going to wrap this up for today. I hope this was helpful and supportive to you. I hope this makes sense. Um, I try to, to make this as easy as possible to understand. And my goal, like always, is for you to walk away with um, more, more information, to be more informed, um, and to share this with those that, you know, if it doesn't pertain directly to you, to share this information with those that you know it would. So that is that. I hope you have a fantabulous start to 
the end of January and the, the start of February at the end of this week. And yeah, I will chat with you next week. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me today. If this episode resonated with you, please share it with a friend. It is my mission to support as many women as possible, and together, we can make that a reality. I am honored to be on this journey together. Until next time, I love you, I'm always here for you, and I'll talk to you soon.